0: It's nice to be back and beautiful El Paso de Robles of course I live in Cayucas don't be jealous it's okay just kidding well it's all right well it's good to be back thank you I love this church I always feel so a part of it when I'm here and uh, yeah I just love you guys love all that's going on thanks Ben yeah and so you guys are doing extreme church makeover huh Sounds pretty exciting. And I think about, when I was thinking about when I first, uh, when James called me and talked about the, the, uh, the series that you guys are going through, the first thing that I, I thought of was that obviously it's not so much the external thing that God really matters, you know, the facade. I mean, it's nice to have a beautiful facility and to look good and all that kind of things like that. But the reality is it's, it's the internal changes that really, I believe that during this time that Jesus is really inviting you and I into that, you know, he constantly, I know about you, but this the reality is God is constantly out to change our hearts, and even the motivations of our heart at the deepest level. You know, God's like this hound of heaven, isn't he? He never gives up on us. He, he always wants us to get in that posture where we want to grow up before we grow old, and so uh, that's been my mantra uh, for years. Uh, I'm 63, and I'm, I feel like I got so much to learn, so much to do, And but the reality is we're all on this journey together, and um, I believe what he's really after more than anything else, the external church makeover is beautiful, but it's that inner transformation of the heart. And what God wants to do as a church, as the body of Christ, not just at Highlands, but with the church universals, he wants to move us from being, from being a spectator, from being a consumer, to being a participant, a disciple, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ. And a, fo- and a disciple is one... Uh, if in in court in the Middle East, uh, in, the, in the culture, in the time of Jesus, a disciple simply was somebody that emulated the master. And that really is as simple as our job. We want to we wanna follow Jesus. We want to look... You know, it's not just about believing the right things. It's about doing the right things, you know? So it's not just about, you know, going through the motions, but we want to follow the master. We want to do what Jesus is doing and go where he's going and love who he's loving. Remember, it's not so much about going to church which is, you know, going to church is important, but it's about being the church. You know, Mondays is a great day to be the church. You know, Tuesdays are really, really good. Wednesdays are pretty far out too. Thursdays are good. Friday's getting ready for the weekend. You know, it's just that we want to embody this thing, this, this sense of Christ-likeness, this sense of caring, the things that we sing about, His presence, where we go, you know, each and every day of the week. Someone told me once that, that remember, Bobby, the church is not some place you come to, it's something that you are. So we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We, we literally are Jesus' hands and feet. We're, we're His image bearers. Do you know that? We're this in the imago Dei, the image of God. We carry God's image with us where we go. You know, um, lately, um, I, I shared this at the first service, but, um, you know, I was a pastor for 31 years in the Vineyard Movement. I loved it in the last couple of years, two and a half years as I worked with LifeWater. As a church mobilizer, and uh, because of my back and I can't travel internationally anymore, I'm actually out of work. And what I've been doing lately is I've been driving Uber, which is, you know, hey, how the mighty have fallen, you know. Uh, but it's so good. God teaches you so much humility, you know. I, I just realized, you know, I was, I was kind of complaining, and this shows you about my prayer life. I was complaining to God about, you know, I drive and God realized, you know, Bob, you're so full of yourself. Anybody here? You know, God, you're just not done with me. And I, I'm so glad. But I realized, you know, this is who we are. We're, we're And I realized that, oh, my, my daughter told me this. She said, you know, Dad, you are. You said, don't worry about standing in front of talking to people. When you get, people get in the car, the, the light of Jesus is there. The love of God's going to, whether you say anything or not, and I, you know, that's so true. So it really changed my whole perspective. So when people come in my car, you know, I can just love them unconditionally. And I don't know why I told you my Uber story. But that's, I can tell you some funny stories. But, Yeah. But my humble opinion, let me just say this. Unless you and I under really understand the value of, of modeling our lives after Jesus, of imitating him, and taking on what really what the a life of a servant, you and I will never make the changes in our life necessary. The changes in our heart, the changes in our attitude, the in our lifestyle necessary to really impact not only our families, our community, our world, with the love and the beauty of Jesus. And so God wants to change our hearts, folks. He wants to change our hearts at the deepest levels. And I love this verse in Mark chapter one. You know, Jesus, when Jesus was inaugurating his ministry and he was talking about, you know, ushering in the kingdom and he talked about the kingdom both being here, you know, we're, uh, the kingdom is both here and now and in the future, you know. And Jesus said in Mark 115, he says, the time has come, the, the, good, uh, the kingdom of God is near. He said, repent and believe in the good news. Now, one of the things that the word repent gets a bad rap, you know, we think, oh, repent means, you know, being sorry, or we've blown it. And repent does mean some of that, but repent literally means a turn. Matter of fact, the word metanoia, repentance, you know what it really means? It means change the way you think, change the way you see, change the way you perceive. God wants us to give us a whole new paradigm. He wants us to see, you know, this upside down beauty of the kingdom of God that, you know, we're, we're to be the greatest is the least, you know, and to, to humble yourself instead of exalting yourself. I mean, we live in this incredible countercultural reality that God wants us to walk in and live in. And one of my favorite books that when I was a brand new Christian, it was called The Jesus Style by a man named Kil Irwin. He had this great quote. I always have it on my desk and it says this. He says, no theology is of any threat or consequence until we try to apply it to our own lives. Such is the case with the study of Jesus. Our lives will be safely humdrum, boring, until we dare live like our master. See, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's to live like him, to love like him, to, to care like him, to turn the other cheek like him, you know, to live simply, the others simply may live like Jesus did. You know, to go to those, to be a friend of those that are on the margins, to be a friend of those maybe the other people wouldn't be friends to. That's the life Jesus called us to live. And the Apostle John said it this way in 1 John 2, 6. He says, anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. Man, that's challenging, isn't it? You say, but we're being with Bobby, that's a high hurdle to, to, to strive for. But if we just strive for mediocrity, you know, just being reasonably moral, getting by, throwing a few bucks in the tray, whatever, you know, that's, there's more to being a follower of Jesus than that. We, we have this high uh, uh, mark that we, we aim for. It's being like Jesus in all that we say and all that we do. You know, the Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said, you know, be imitators of God as much-loved children, and he said, and live a life of love, even as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we're to live these lives of love. And how do we do that? We do that by imitating Jesus. That word literally means to mimic him, to be the things that he did were to do, the people he loved were to love. Do you get it? Not yet, but you will. I can tell. Okay. <laughs> so our challenge, really, I think, is, is simply this today. And my challenge to you is can you dare to be like him? Can you make that your goal in your life is to be like Jesus that we might reflect Him? And that means we have to change the way we see, change the way we think, change the way we see. Do we want a cultural gospel or do you want the gospel of the kingdom? Do you just want to go to church or do we want to be the church? Do you want to be a spectator or do you want to be a participant? I can't answer that for you. You've got to wrestle with that yourself when you look in the mirror. But if we're followers of Jesus, there's so much more that God wants to do in our lives. And today I want to look at John chapter 13, and we're going to talk about one simple aspect of that. And it's this life of servanthood. What does it mean to be a servant? So if you have your Bibles or your devices or your, or your phones or whatever it may be, uh, turn to John chapter 13, and just let me give you a little background about John chapter, actually 13 through 17 you know, you see it's all red in your Bible if you have a, a red letter Bible. And oftentimes New Testament theologians call this the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. It's, it's this incredible teaching section right before Jesus is to go into the garden to be betrayed and to encounter the cross. And, and this was some 48 hours before Jesus uh, encountered the cross. And Jesus knew that, you know, his time has come. And as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about, Bobby, what would you do if you knew you only had only had 48 hours to live? what would you guys do? Good question. I don't know. But I hope I would do something like Jesus would do. And so let me read. Let me start. I'm going to read in verse 1. And it says this. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Now listen. Having loved his own or her in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That could be translated, you know, he loved them to the end or he loved them to the last or, you know, he showed them again the full extent of his love. You see, folks, Jesus served his disciples and he served others because of his great love, his humility, and his obedience to the Father. Even though Jesus knew really well that in a few hours, one person was going to, one disciple was going to betray him, Judas Iscariot. Another was going to deny him completely, Peter and all of them in the garden would eventually abandon him. I mean, just think of the emotional pain, what he must have been feeling in his heart. But yet, here's the beautiful thing. He still loved them. The reality is, folks, for you and I, God knows us completely, yet he still loves us. There's nothing you can do to forfeit the love of God. There's nothing you can do to, to, you know, God is not mad at you. You know what? God's mad about you. He's passionately in love with us. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, his love is extended towards us. I love this great quote from Father Richard Rohr. He said, This, he said, God loves us not because we are good, <laughs> but God loves us because God is good. This is how it works, folks. It's him. He's benevolent and kind and, and, you know, he's rich in mercy and slow to anger. and He's rich in love and he's good to all. And he has compassion on all that he's made. That's who God is. Is that the God that you know? That you love? I hope so. And then in verse 3, John goes on to tell us, he says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, And that he had come from God and is returning to God. So, in verse 4, he got up from his meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. See, because Jesus knew who he was, and whose he was, and what he was for, and where he was going. See, he was free to literally to give himself away. Because he was secure in the Father's love, he could spend himself, he can lay himself, his life down because he knew what he, who he was and what he was for. And I think the application is really important for you and I as we grow and know who we are and whose we are. And as we know who we're for and where we're going, you and I can follow Jesus' example. We can give ourselves away. We can spend ourselves for the sake of others. We can pour out our lives and we can serve others without expecting anything back in return. That's the way of Jesus. And there's a real kingdom principle here we really need to get our hands around. It's simply this. What Jesus knew and experienced helped determine what Jesus did. What Jesus knew and understood and experienced helped determine what Jesus did. So I guess the question I would ask you this morning, do you know who you are? Do you know what you're for? Do you know whose you are? If you do, you can pour yourself out. Even if no one says thank you, even if no one appreciates it, even if if people are angry with you, whatever it may be, but if you lay your life down for the sake of others, if you serve in simple things or whatever it may be, God knows and God sees. Verses 4 and 5 said this. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the disciples must have been shocked when he saw Jesus do this. See, the Father put all things into the Son's hands. Yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus picks up a towel, and he wraps it around his waist. Now, picture the scene. I love this. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, has a great little quote about this. He says, as a cross is a sign of submission, so the towel is a sign of servanthood and service. When Jesus gathered his disciples for the last supper, they were having trouble over who is the greatest. This was no new issue for them. It said that an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Now listen what he says. Whenever there's trouble over who's the greatest, there's always trouble who's over who's the least. And this is the crux of the matter for us, isn't it? Most of us, We'll never be the greatest. We just don't want to be the least, do we? So gathered at the Passover feast, the disciples were keenly aware that someone needed to wash the other's feet. The problem was that the only people who washed the feet were the least. So there they sat, feet caked with dirt. And it was such a sore point that they were not even going to talk about it. No one wanted to be considered the least. Now this is the punchline. This is so good. He says, then Jesus took a towel... And he picked up a wash basin and once for to defined what greatness is. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you love that he did? He didn't get up there and say, okay, serve me. Don't you know I'm going to cross in two days? Don't you know what stress and the anxiety I'm under? No, he get down and he, he girds himself with a towel. He takes the lowest form, the lowest slave. That's they, they would wash the feet and he got down. And he washed the disciples' feet. What a beautiful example of who Jesus is and and this life of service that he's called you and I too. I just love Jesus for that. Jesus gave the disciples an unforgettable lesson in humility and servanthood and sacrifice that would soon culminate at the cross. If you skip down to verse 12, we'll, we'll finish up. And he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on clothes and returned to his place. And he said this, Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So having walked out this life of servanthood, he's now called you and I, church, to nothing less what should mark and characterize the people of Highlands Church humility sacrifice servanthood and there's a familiar theme as you go through the gospels I want you to see this as you go through your study check it out underline your bible where you see it, there's a phrase and it goes like this it says as me so you it's kind of show and tell and Jesus says this all the time he says as me now so you as me, Jesus says, so you. So here we see in servant in verses 14 and 15. Even as I've washed your feet, so you must wash one another's feet. And later on in the chapter in John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. How? Even as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then he said, you know, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, you're my adherents, you're my followers by the love that you have one for another. So again, as me, so you. And how did Jesus love us? Extravagantly, generously, unconditionally, right? How are we to love others in our community? Extravagantly, unconditionally. That means love without agenda. Hello? That means love if they're not in your same political party, That means love. That means love. That means what should demonstrate us, what sets us apart as followers of Jesus. It's not our silly bumper stickers. Sorry. But it's our lives. It's our hearts. It's our actions. It's the way that we treat others. As me, so you, servanthood, love. And then John 20, 21, Jesus said, you know, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. So we're these send people, as me, so you. And Jesus said this in the book of Philippians, you know, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider others as more important than yourself. And do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but look out for the interest of others. And then he says this, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what was his attitude? He's our example. He's our model. In Jesus' attitude, there was no selfish ambition. There was no self-importance. There was no self-centeredness. We see actually the opposite, don't we? We see an attitude of unselfish concern for others. So what should our attitudes be like towards others? Unselfish concern. See, folks, the cure for selfishness and self-centeredness is servanthood. Servanthood. My hero, Mother Teresa, said this. He said, the words of Jesus love one another as I have loved you must not only be a light for us, but a flame that consumes the self in us. Listen to this. Love, in order to survive, must be nourished by sacrifice, especially the sacrifice of self. Ouch. But this is good. This is what sets us apart. This is what's different. It's not what we believe that makes us different, folks. Do you know that? It's what we do about what we believe that makes us different. Are you guys here? All right. These lights are killing me. Do you you get it? Everybody go like this. Yeah, I get it, Bobby. All right, good. That makes me feel so much better. Okay. So let's close here in verses 15 through 17. He said, I've set an example, Jesus said, that you should do as I have done to you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now look at verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, how? If you do them. So there's that conditional clause. Jesus saying the blessing of God you know what the blessing of God is? That's his favor. It's his presence. It's his peace. It's his grace abounding to us. His blessing will rest on those who follow Jesus' example. You'll be blessed if you do those things. The blessing is on the person who serves. And here, folks, we see a complete reversal, don't we, of the world's standards. It's the upside-down kingdom. You know, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be what? A servant of all. So greatness consists in servanthood. Okay, Jesus teaching us that greatness does not consist in commanding others to do things for you, greatness consists in you doing things for others. See? The pathway to Christian maturity is marked by servanthood, by humility, by sacrificial love. And the church of Jesus Christ has been called to a life of servanthood. But most of the church today is not focused on servant on servanthood. We're focused on being served. We're consumers, just like our culture. But Jesus said, no, that's not what I want from you. You see, the essence of servanthood is living out our lives for the sake of others. That's the kind of life that Jesus led. And that's the kind of life you and I have been called to as followers of Jesus. Just rendering faithful, humble service to God. Just doing what rights in front of you. Loving your children, loving your family, loving your neighbor, being kind, smiling once in a while. You know, just being Jesus the best we know how. Starting small, but taking on this posture of servanthood following the way of Jesus. wash. How do we wash one another's feet, Bobby? Do you mean get down and add literally? No, that means we forgive when we've been, we've been wronged. We, we, it means the, that, that means you know, covering someone's sin instead of exposing someone's sin. That means coming alongside and encouraging instead of giving advice or pointing a finger. That's what it means to wash one another's feet. It means to give grace and to give mercy and not to, just to be a good listener. That's how we serve each other, folks. Serve one another in love. That's the kind of life that Jesus led. And that's a life that Jesus is inviting us to continue to step into and to grow into each and every day of our lives. I'm going to close with a, a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King that I love. He said this Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. <laughs> he says, You don't need a college degree to serve. Listen, he said, You only need a heart full of grace. And a soul generated by love. And then he said this. This is so good. Life's most urgent question is, what are you doing for others? So what are we doing for others? Before we try to change the world, how about us changing? And maybe just being nice to our neighbors. Maybe we should get to know our neighbors' names. It's just investing in people. It's smiling. It's opening the door for others. It's demonstrating the, the practical love of Jesus is serving others. And what to God, as you guys think about this extreme home makeover that realize that, hey, I'm, so, I'm stoked you guys are doing makeover on the outside, but you know, God's more interested in what's going on in here. God desires truth in the innermost parts. He wants the, the, our innards to line up with his talk too much. Bye. <laughs>